before we come to God's Word, let's spend a moment in prayer. I'm going to pray for the Kairos Inside team. Uh, we've been praying for you already. There's a few of us who got the prayer request and we've been praying for team members by first name. So it's nice to put some uh, names to faces uh, today and we'll continue to pray over the coming weeks. We'll do that. Some of us may know um, Harry James. Anybody know Harry James? Harry would come and um, uh, fellowship here and his fiancée, Natalie Mason. Anybody know Natalie? Some people do? Okay. This last week was a bit sad. Natalie had a rollover car accident up at the Annan River uh, near Cooktown. She is okay. Car's right off, but she's okay. Just uh, shaken and not stirred. No, shaken and, and um, not shocked. That's what I was thinking of. Um, and uh, uh, just spent a night in hospital for observation. Uh, praise God that uh, she's not more seriously hurt. So we need to pray for her as well. And for Harry and for the church up there because uh, a small church of 20 people gets affected. I mean, uh, as we do when somebody's hurt or ill or whatever. So we'll pray for them. And let's pray for Lee today as well. Lee rang me yesterday. He's had another terrible week in pain. If, if God brings Lee Dean to your mind during the week, just pray right then and there for her. And that's his way. I think, of reminding us to pray. So let's do that. Let's pray this morning before we come to God's Word. Father, you've heard the praises on our lips today. We know who you are. You're a God who's faithful and true. You're a God that we trust in. You're a God of salvation. And you're a God who cares about each one of us. And thank you, Lord, that we have this incredible privilege of walking with you day by day in that personal and intimate relationship that you have designed right from the beginning of your creation. And so, Lord, when we hear of folks that are doing it tough, we, uh, our hearts go out to them. That's the way you've created us, to have compassion uh, and care and love and concern for those who are in need. And Father, we do pray, uh, particularly for the Kairos Inside team and all their supporters, Father, that as they prepare, not only this weekend and in, in, the, in the coming weeks, to take the program into the prison, that Father, you'll be their strength, you'll be their peace, you'll be their encouragement, their support. And Father, that you'll go before them and prepare the hearts and minds of men that will come to that program for that Kairos Inside Week. Father, may you change lives. That's what you're in the business of doing. And may they be willing to have their lives changed into the likeness of Jesus. We, we know, Father, that there, there's lots of things that could happen in the meantime where the evil one would try and distract and confuse and discourage. And we pray that you'll guard them against that, the whole team. Father, they may know without a doubt you're calling on their lives and the peace and the strength that you give when we call people to do a job for you. Father, we do thank you for the news of, of Nat and that she's well and, and, and not injured from this uh, car crash. Father, we pray for her uh, recovering, not just physically, but, but mentally. Uh, we know it's a shock when these things happen. We ask, Lord, once again, that your peace would come upon her and for uh, Harry, her fiancé, and for the folk in the Cooktown Church, Lord, that they'll just know your peace, knowing that you've still got work for Nat to do for you. And so you're not finished with her yet. And Father, may she be encouraged by that. Lord, we do bring Lee before you this morning. We know that she loves you, Lord, and in the midst of the painful condition that she has, Father, she still trusts you day by day to see her through. So, Lord, we pray for release from that pain. We don't know how you're going to do it. The doctors can't have said they can't do it anymore, Lord, but you can. And so we lift her before you today and whenever you bring her to our minds, Father, and ask that you'll be her peace. Father, that you'll be her freedom from that pain and that you'll give her the rest that she so desperately needs. Lord, we thank you for her trust and faith in you during these times. We lift her before you today. Lord, as we open your word again today, 
uh, Lord, we pray that you'll speak through these verses that are familiar to us. We pray that you'll give us new insight on how we should live for you day by day. And Lord, that you'll remind us that you empower us by your spirit, just as the young people remind us this morning, that your spirit is the one who enables us day by day to be about the mission that Jesus has called us to be. So we pray, praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for visitors, uh, we are working through a series called Jesus the Game Changer. And uh, it's a series that we're looking at both in uh, the Sunday morning message and some of the small groups are doing it in their Bible studies as well. And it's based on those verses which the children shared with us this morning, taking the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And we've looked historically at church history of how the good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has impacted and changed lives in different places around the world. Well, today we're going to go backwards a little bit. Last week we looked at China and we came up to date in current day China. We're going to step back to the 1500s, 1400s and 1500s and look at the Reformation and what happened in that period of church history. And there's a significant verse or a couple of verses that relate to what happened at that time. And I want to join, ask you to join me as we read through some verses. You might have your Bibles there. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 17. If you don't have your Bible, then you can join me. The words will be up on the screen. So how about, how about um, I read the first screen and you read the second screen? That makes sure that we're all still awake. Okay. This is Paul writing his letter to the Romans in the first chapter, or the first part of his letter, he says, to the Roman Christians. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. Who wants to be known for their faith being reported all over the world? That's what Paul was encouraging them with. Verse 9, God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. Verse 10, in my prayer, and I pray that now, at least marked by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I am ob obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Familiar passage to us? Familiar verses, particularly verse uh, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And before I go any further, I need to say hi to the people who are joining us on Zoom this morning. Uh, I trust that the internet's working well. We're still working on that connection to get it up to a better speed, but I hope that you're blessed as you have been able to worship God and now as we consider God's Word. Would you agree that the way we operate as Christians today is probably a little bit different to the way Christians operated back in the 1400s and 1500s? 
Who's glad about that? I'm glad about that. Okay. There's a lot of things that are different. One, uh, some of the technological things are different. Yes, we do praise God for the internet, uh, for Zoom, most of the time. And, and, and the, the, there have been some changes doctrinally in the life of the church, which I'm so glad about too. I'm going to mention some of those today. And I trust that as we look at this couple of verses, virtually verses 16 and 17, that we'll see what happened in the Reformation, why it happened, and how we should still be living the same truths today that they discovered back then. What was happening at the time? Let's go back to the 1400s, 1500s. Well, the Pope of the day, the predominant church of the day was the Roman Catholic Church, and the Pope of the day was having a building program. And some of the Popes had massive building programs. Who's ever been to St Peter's in Rome? Anybody been there? Have a look. Okay, just tell me if this is the right picture. I wasn't sure I got the right picture. Is that the right picture, Cole? Thank you for that. Yep. So, um, this was the building program in the 1400s and 1500s. Can you imagine the cost involved? I mean, let alone today to build a, a building like that today. But back then, when, uh, when the economy wasn't so great, the original St. Peter's is that part. This is all an extension beyond what the Pope was building on the day. So, the Pope got this great idea. He decided to authorise the selling of indulgences. And it didn't mean that you had too much chocolate. Not that sort of indulgence. This is what the indulgence meant. It meant that uh, the sale of indulgence was a practice where the church acknowledged a donation or another charitable work with a piece of paper, which is called an indulgence. That certified that your soul would enter heaven more quickly by reducing your time in purgatory. Like I said, I'm so glad that the doctrines of today are different to what they used to be, particularly that one. Now, in our 21st century, in in the way we think today, we would think, how is it that someone would buy into such a thing? How would they buy into this? You know, a piece of paper guarantees that you'll get get to heaven. I thought it was pretty funny. And, um, but at the same time, people back then were more superstitious than what we are today. And for them to have some sense of hope, other than just listening to words, was what they based their faith on. And so people would, would sell produce, they would give generously so that these uh, building programs would happen. Also, the scriptures in those days were written in Latin. And many of the priests themselves struggled to understand Latin. So they, dare I say, they were making it up as they went, hoping that they got it right for a lot of time, and they didn't. But there was one little guy, I understand he was small in stature, there was one little fellow, uh, a priest, who was searching diligently for God. He, he desired to know God first and to know God's will for his life. So he was teaching in Wittenberg in Germany, and he was given the job of uh, teaching theology because the church felt that he had to get some things sorted out in his life that he's teaching the right thing. So they made him teach theology even though he was having a struggle with some of his theology. Any guesses on what his name was? Martin Luther. And the lady next to him is Mrs. Martin Luther. He gave him a tract a couple of years after he had this massive inspiration from God. Martin Luther was the right man in the right place at the right time to do something about the difficulties that were happening in the life of the church. He, as it were, was 
they call him often the father of the Reformation, but in fact, other things, God was already stirring people's hearts. You might know the name of uh, Jan Hus or Jan Hus or uh, John Whitehead or uh, another guy's name who I can't remember his first name, Zwingli, and another one, uh, John Calvin. God was already stirring in these uh, people's hearts concerns over the practices and the theology of the church of the day. But it was when, when um, uh, Luther came along, he was a man driven. He was, he was passionate about his cause. And another thing happened about the same time. A printing press was developed. There had never been a printing press before that. This is the Gutenberg press. That's a replica of it, so I'm told. But with that press working and Luther writing extensively, in the first year there was 2,971 books published. Over 3 million were sold. Now, we're talking about the 1400s, 1500s here. And they were published because they were written in the German language and the ordinary people could understand them. It's the first time they ever had a Bible in their own language. There's a date coming up, the 31st of October, which is a a date of significance in church history because back in 1517, it was when, uh, that's an updated picture, Luther nailed his 95 theses or 95 points of argument on the church door, which was the public notice board of the day, criticising or asking questions of the church leadership of the day why they were going down this indulgences track. A lot of people think that uh, if, if they haven't looked into it, they, they think that, oh, he had a lot of arguments against the church, but really the 95 arguments were about this one thing, raising funds for a massive building program rather than teaching the truth in the, from the Gospels and from the Scriptures. Luther's actions are why we're here today. Luther's actions are why we are part of evangelical Protestantism. How's that for name? Today. Because he protested at the Reformation. And he made people sit up and take notice and come to a personal faith in Jesus on their own ground rather than what the priests had been telling them to do. I want to look at uh, verse 16 and 17 in particular this morning. Let me just remind you of those. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Luther was not ashamed of the gospel. He was not ashamed of the gospel. The question I asked myself when I was looking at this message was, am I ashamed of the gospel? Am I concerned if somebody knows that I'm a follower of Jesus? Am I shy of being a follower of Jesus? This letter that Paul writes to the Romans was a a cry out to the Roman Christians of the day. Come together in this this unity of the fact that the gospel is the essence, that the message of Jesus Christ is the essence of our faith. Don't wander off to the left or the right. Come back to this solid ground. And I'm sure if I was to take a, a... a poll here this morning and, and would ask you, are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? I don't think I'd see any hands go up. But you know, that's fine for us to be like that in church where most of us agree. 
So it's not the same outside the four walls in the church, is it? It's easier to be ashamed of the gospel when we're not amongst brothers and sisters in Christ or like-minded people who support the way we think. To be believers in the world, it's harder not to be ashamed of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, the world has no regards for the message of Jesus in general. Most of the world would see Jesus as a historical person, a great teacher, but they would not see him as the son of God. To them, that seems ridiculous, stupid. You're being misled by somebody's myths, is what they'll say to us. You've believed a lie. How do we not be ashamed of the gospel in the world in which we live? Jesus said that his preaching and teaching would be a stumbling block for the wise. And for the majority in the world, it is foolishness to believe that a loving, created God would allow his son to pay the ultimate price for the cost of our disobedience against God. That's, that's just foolishness. So I think it's important for us not to be ashamed of the gospel, whatever environment we find ourselves in. I don't know about you, but I've been in environments over the years in different places where I've worked and associated with people where, yeah, I've been shy of standing out for Jesus. Wouldn't it be so easier, so much easier if when we came to faith in Jesus, we've got a neon sign, you know, a neon sign on a thorough follower of Jesus. But sometimes I think that sign might fade or rather be as bright as it should be. I think sometimes I've been ashamed when I've allowed coarse or rude jokes to be told and I'm a part of that and I haven't stepped back from that. I'm, I'm ashamed sometimes at the, the money that our governments spend on uh, items that we might call uh, blasphemous or derogatory or uh, against God's standards and sadly my pastors are part of that. I think sometimes I'm ashamed when I fail to take or stand for the rights of people who are less fortunate than myself. I think we need to, I need to, maybe you do too, to say, Lord, I don't want to be ashamed any longer. I want to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ as nobody too in every facet of life. This building has stood here for five decades, believe it or not. Well, not this building, but this place has been here for five decades. And Atherton Tableland Baptist Church, we need to ask ourselves, are we ashamed of the gospel? And I hope that the answer is no. And like I said, it's easier to say that in this context. But when we're uh, rubbing shoulders with people in our daily walk or our social connections or our community connections, sometimes it is easier to be ashamed of the gospel. And I pray today that you might take Paul's encourage, take Paul's example as an encouragement. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel and he lived a full and blessed life, but he suffered as well because he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And I believe we need to take that same stand, not be ashamed of the gospel in these walls and outside the walls. Because I believe God will bless that when we take that stand. And Luther did that. He was not ashamed of the gospel. Even though it meant ostracism from his colleagues, ostracism from his employer, which is the Catholic Church of the day, and, and really being cast out. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. 
Why should we not be ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of salvation. It's the power of God to salvation for anyone who believes. It's powerful. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news that Jesus said the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come or is near. It is powerful news. That means that people, you and I, and others that we know, can enter into God's kingdom when we surrender to Jesus' control, his sovereignty of our lives, his, his lordship in our lives. That's what it means to be part of God's kingdom. Why is this so? Because God loved his creation, humanity, so much, as I said before, that he sent his only son to come to this earth to be the price, the sacrifice that was needed to redeem a disobedient people back to a holy and righteous God. Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. He knew the power of the gospel. And that power is to save souls and to change lives. Anybody say amen to that? Because he's done it for me. Has he done it for you? Absolutely. And the last thing in those verses that I just want to highlight this morning is that the righteous shall live by faith. There's, this is a verse that stirred Luther's heart. So much so that he, he coined or he penned a simple inscription which says, Sola Scriptura. In the Latin, that means Scripture alone. And later on, he, he went on to say, by, by faith alone. Scripture alone by faith alone. That we're justified by faith alone, not by works. Like I said, he was uh, ostracised from uh, his colleagues, from his church, from his employer. He went to a place called the Diet of Worms. It's an interesting name, but it was actually a church council. It was in the town of Worms, is that right? Uh, yeah, it wasn't you were eating worms. Um, and he said this, he argued with them. And they, they said to him, you need to deny your writings. You need to recant from your writings. And Luther argues with, the, with them that he can't recant of his writings because if he did, then he'd actually be recanting of some of the things that they actually believed in. And this is his statement. He said, Unless I am refuted and convicted by testimonies of the Scripture or by clear arguments, since I believe neither the Pope nor the councils alone, it being evident that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am conquered by the Holy Scriptures quoted by me. And my conscience is bound in the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against the conscience. Word of God alone is what he was saying. And at that point they evicted him from the Catholic Church. They evicted him from his role. And uh, soon after that the Lutheran Church started because the people loved him. They loved that he was teaching them the scriptures. They loved that they could come to this personal relationship with Jesus because they understood the scriptures in their own German language. I read interestingly this week that uh, Luther translating the Bible into German was actually the, the start of the written German language and from there a lot of education took place and a lot of uh, teaching people how to read and write took place. So God had an incredible opportunity for the right man in the right place. We have to be careful that we don't that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Who are the righteous? Who are the righteous in that verse? The righteous are those, the Bible tells us, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That means that we stand sinless before God because of who, Je who Jesus is and what he's done. We are saved saints. We are precious in God's sight. The Bible tells us that anyone who calls upon the Lord Jesus as their saviour is redeemed and are justified. Of God. That means he doesn't see them 
as uh, unworthy anymore. He sees them as people of his own choice, people of his choice. So if we're righteous, how are we to live? Anybody got any uh, complaints about the government they want to nail to the Parliament House door? Uh, We don't do that these days, but we can through our petitions. This very week, do you know what's happening in the Queensland government this very week? The Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill is going before the Parliament. Legalised suicide. Is what some people are calling it. And we need to pray that the God who works on the consciousness of men will will cause them to make the right decisions about this bill and to increase the the funding that's available available to palliative care. We can sign those petitions. We can write to our politicians. We can uh, disagree with some of the things that are being proposed. And that's just like putting the 95 Theses on on the the cathedral door, isn't it? Although we use modern technology to do it. How are we to live? We are to live knowing that Jesus who sits at the right hand of God our Father died for us that we might live out his plan for the world. Free of, or not dependent on rituals or trappings, because that's what Luther put aside to, to the greatest extent. Knowing that we are justified by faith alone. A faith which serves God and serves one another. Which is prepared to allow somebody else to get the credit. So long as God's will is done. You don't need to be the ones at the front or at the top of the team. What does that look like for us as African Baptist Church? It means that we don't have to have our own way. We need to be willing to be last as others are put ahead of us. We need to be willing to wash the disciples' feet, just like Jesus did. We need to be willing to do that for one another. What's stopping us? For some of us, it's because we haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. We've, we've mentally believed that, yep, what you say is right about Jesus. He died on the cross, he rose again. But we haven't got to that place where we've said, Lord, I surrender to you. I allow you to do with me whatever you want to do because you're the King of my life, you're the Lord of my life. For some of us, that's still an issue. For some of us, we need to seek his forgiveness because he's told us the truth and we've gone in the other direction. We need to say, sorry, Lord. Forgive me, humble me, and then use me. Some of us can't do it because we're troubled, we're carrying a a burden or a load, and we have never got to the place where we said, Lord, take this load from me. Jesus said, cast your yoke upon me. Take my yoke upon me. It's it's easy. He wants to take our burden. Today, you you can give him your burden. You can give him that doubt, you can give him that disobedience and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to live that righteous life for you. I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. You can have a reformation in your life today. We spoke about the church yesterday. You can have a reformation in your life today that says, I will follow Jesus with his goodness to the ends of the earth. If that's what you want, then just say, in this time of prayer, for the opportunity for you to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for guys like Martin Luther who had a passion to know God, to know you, and that led him to take some uh, definite steps against the authorities of the day. Lord, thank you for those verses that Paul penned 
which reminds us that we are not to be ashamed of the gospel because we know the power of God for salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for each person here today. As they've heard those verses, Lord, as we've looked at them briefly, if some are struggling with that surrender aspect, where they believe without a doubt that Jesus is Lord, but it just doesn't seem to be that excitement, enthusiasm and power in their lives, Lord, because they're struggling in surrender. I pray that you might touch their heart, touch their mind, that they might simply say to you, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Father, perhaps some are struggling with with, uh, burdens and loads that they're carrying in their life, decisions that need to be made or or situations they're facing. Father, you've given us the ability to think things out and to work things through, but sometimes you require us to first say, Lord, I surrender this to you. I pass this burden or this load over to you. Father, that's what some may need to do today. Simply say those words. Lord, I pass this burden or load over to you. I surrender it to you. Father, we want to be known as a church that is not ashamed of the gospel. We want somebody like Paul to write about us, about our faith in Jesus, because that faith in Jesus has changed our lives. The power of your Spirit has allowed us to be involved in helping other people to see their lives changed as well. Father, we thank you that the power of your gospel has not stopped still changing people's lives to the end of the age. Father, we praise you for all this in Jesus' name today. Amen. If anybody wants to talk about anything that I've said this morning, please, please nab me after the service.